So I went to see Captain Marvel yesterday. I'm a big movie fan. Sci-fi, war movies, you know the deal. Kind of combine the both with the superhero. And uh, so I went to go see Captain Marvel. I enjoyed it. I mean, nothing earth-shattering in it. It was a good origin story and kind of put them in a nice place uh, to, you know, to get the, uh, her story going. And I guess there was some drama, and I'm not worried about that. I don't really care. I mean, that's my escape. I want to just kind of, you know, m blend in the couch and watch a movie and not worry about it. And, you know, one of the things is I watched Aquaman this week. Uh, first time I didn't go see it in the movie theater. I just watched it on digital streaming download and so i go watch aquaman and i'm like i like dc movies like the Zack snyder stuff you know i like watchmen like the three plus hour long version of it and not the theatrical version so any Zack night Zack snyder cut i'm kind of into i know some people aren't really bigger fans of that longer stuff but i dig it so there's that whole, you know, DC versus Marvel. And I and I will admit I'm a much bigger Marvel fan, although I, I like the idea of Batman uh, quite a bit. And watching Aquaman, it like light bulb went off. And and I posted this on the high the other the other day. We were talking about it. I got the high movie theater section. Aquaman was like they, they try to make it realistic in a weird way, but it's total fantasy. You know, they're creating these worlds within our world where you know, it's it's deviating from the Dark Knight approach where the Dark Knight, they put Batman right into the real world and had, you know, all these kind of plausible. They played down the villains where they weren't necessarily superhuman, but a little bit different. And then DC got away from that and they went back into like full blown comic book fantasy mode. Well, so I'm watching Aquaman and I'm like, man, there's a lot of really bad stuff done in here. Like, you know, shortcut stuff. It was video game to me. And if you watch just the very beginning of it, like look at his his dad when they aged his dad, he looked like a total video game character. And then you go into like I watched Civil War this week, uh, Captain America kind of putting the two together. I watched Aquaman a second time, then Civil War. They age Robert Downey. He looked real. They actually put effort in the color. Everything for a Marvel movie is much better where. In the DC movies, you tend to go in the video game and out of video game, in the fantasy realm, out of fantasy realm. And that kind of back and forth, I think, is what throws people off because nobody's really cracked the code. You know, at least there, there's a lot of uh, ideas out there of why Marvel does better than DC. Yeah, better story, all that. But to me, it's the filmmaking. Marvel's cinematic and DC's video game. So, you know, kind of watching um, Captain Marvel and everything, they, they're looking at it now and kind of stepping back and watching this stuff. Marvel's being slick because they're understating, like, the destruction. They're understating the powers where, yeah, she's glowing, she's got these powers and all that stuff. Same thing with, like, the Scarlet Witch girl. They're, they're, they're downplaying it. And then I'm watching it in the explosions and the different things that are happening. They're using more practical effect and they're downplaying the explosions. You know, a hand grenade doesn't take the whole house down. A hand grenade whoops in the room and then they can come on, move right through it and past it. Where in a DC flick, you know, it would knock the house down. 
And so I, I'm kind of seeing that a little bit the more I'm kind of, you know, chilling out and watching them. I mean, that's one of the things in the scout year is people ask me all the time, oh, what are you into besides shooting and doing all this and doing that? And in this early, early time of the scout years it, with the video that I do on YouTube and stuff like that, I actually took a couple cine cinematography classes, not anything crazy. They're not big, but they help. You know, I did one from the guy, uh, Shane Hurlbert, who I did two from him. Actually, uh, he did act of valor. Um, that movie's the seal movie and he kind of shot it really handheld and a lot of different things. And then I did a couple with, uh, the Saturday night live guys. They go and do classes because Saturday night live is more like we would operate, the guy doesn't even live in New York, you know, at the time he he would he would get a script on Tuesday, fly into New York on Wednesday, they rent all the equipment, they do a location scout on Thursday, they shoot it on Friday, it's hand delivered Friday night and then it's ready for air. That's all the the non-live stuff. So it's the guy who does all the inserts when they're setting stages up in between the on live. So the guy has to come in, knock stuff out and leave. So I've taken kind of those classes to help. Now it sucks because, you know, you're on YouTube. I don't have a crew. I'm by myself. And if, if you watched any of my videos, I don't uh, go and I don't have a crew. You know what I mean? It's just me. I set the cameras up. I turn around. I might do like a take or two before or at least I do a setup shot. I don't do takes because here's the thing. Like my first take is always the best. Same thing with the podcast. Like my first thoughts always work out better. And then if I have to redo it, it messes everything up. And it's like, he blah, I hate this. This is terrible. You know, and the more I do it, the worse it gets. So the the uh, the goal is to kind of knock it out immediately the first time well and, and not necessarily um, go and, you know, try take after take to nail it. But then when I get back, I edit it, I color code it, because I'm shooting it all in log, which log, for guys who don't know, is a flat, like a, it looks like foggy and white and nasty. It doesn't look good. So if I, if I, if I film something for you and then you were over my shoulder before I, you know, worked on it, it, like as soon as I brought it into the computer, you'd be like, what the heck did this guy do? It looks, you know, it's, it's all nasty. And then I can throw colors on it and do different things. And that's what I do. I go in, I edit them, I put colors on them. I do all these different things. So that's that's one of those, that kind of creative process. And, and now in the new year, kind of getting into it, I got to jump back out. The podcast has actually distracted me a bit from the video because it's easier. I could do it right here at the house. I don't have to go and drive to the range. I wish, you know, I live in the city, so I wish I could shoot a little bit more right here. I'm just not set up to do it. Because I would do it every day or, you know, at least every other day kind of thing if I had a, a better setup. But I don't like, like, I, I get too much flack if I do a talking head in the office or if I do anything. Like, I had those bullet point uh, videos from Scout that I thought worked out really well. And I should revisit them. I need to get something set up for the bullet point stuff. But uh, moving forward, tomorrow I'm going to go meet up with Mike and we're going to go uh, do some of this stuff uh, he's got some mentoring things and some different uh, ideas to go over. So we'll knock out a few podcasts with Mike. Uh, he'll be back in the swing of things and we'll do that. Uh, another note on the APO rifles. That's all moving forward. We got a brochure. I mean, looking at this, I, I've been getting inquiries and, and I'm going to go into a little different zone here uh, with the LE stuff. 
uh, Mile High is the, 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 the distributor, the LE distributor, right? They're the Accuracy International distributor. They're an LE distributor. They're very big LE. They have a whole LE division. And so I always stayed out of the LE lane because when they had Mile High detachment, the guys they had brought in were supposed to be their LE trainers, right? So those guys will handle that. I stay out of that lane. I do my fundamentals in, in you know, my basic civilian classes and then let the other guys do the LE stuff. But, you know, they're not doing it. They shut that side of things down and they're just doing the classes that I do at Mile High as an example. So I know there's a lot of LE guys out there listening. They're picking up on the win. They're picking up on the fundamentals. And I really kind of look at it from that marksmanship side because I think you guys get let down quite a bit. It, it's it's more like, you know, after three, four, five reps of doing something at 100 yards, if your groups go down below an inch, you know, the instructor's happy and they don't really correct. And then they start running you around with gear and, you know, go from A to B to B to C, get out of your car, bail out, set up. And, yeah, there's definitely a lot of good things to do. You know, that's like what Jacob talked about, the the the, uh, the build and break drills, where you're kind of going and you're building a position, then you break off, then you come back and build a position. Very similar to coming out of your car, grabbing your equipment, setting it up in, in X amount of time. But, you know, I got a note from somebody, and this isn't the first time. I get them all the time, the LE guys and, and different people who work with that, and it's a trend I've seen and I saw it up in Alaska. I see it all over the place that they're, you know, it's like these 16 inch 308s for LA. And I get it. You guys aren't shooting far. You're not doing that. But I mean, they're doing like, you know, we're going to give you an eight twist 308 and 16 inch. And trust me, the eight twist will work at a thousand yards. And it's like, yeah, not so much because your bullets don't work with it. You know, it's all this other kind of, nah, I hate it. So I, I got this note, like, you know, guys were working with local department. Um, they don't have budgets, which I know you guys don't have budgets. And, and you know, we'd love to work with you. I work with different people individually, and I, I try to give you the, the best breaks we can. So if you wanted something that was a marksmanship class, yeah, reach out, and, and we can definitely do that and make it where it's not so expensive. We understand where your budget constraints kind of go in. But I think you're getting really, really bad advice equipment-wise. It's like the 16-inch stuff and all that. Like, if you have an A, if you're an AI, and like Anchorage is AI guys, and there's all different departments all around us, and they use the AIs with the quick locks or could change the barrel. It's like, yeah, okay, have three barrels you know, on an AI, it's a worthwhile thing to do like the military. You know, you look at, they got a a Mark 12, which is their 223 with a scope on it. And that's their DMR, 77 grain, 5.56. Okay, so that's one scenario. I got a Mark 12. Well, then I can get my Mark 11. Okay, that's my 308 semi-auto, 20 inch, blah, 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 suppressed. I could do whatever I need to do, 308. I need to go bigger, you know, kick a kick a bigger door open. I got a 308. So I go from my 556 Mark 12 to my Mark 11. Okay, got it. Oh, I need a little more range. Why well, grab my Mark 13, my 300 wind mag? You know, I'm going to take that. I got to reach out and stretch. So they have a different tool for the toolbox on the military side. You know, oh wait, we got to go bigger. We go there's a 338 variant. There's a, a, you know, 50 cal. Hey, I'm going to use that McMillan TAC 50 with TTI Armory Solids. And I'm going to do some really crazy stuff because I got this like, you know, 
hyper crazy, you know, tool in my toolbox. So I can go from a five, five, six to a 50 cal in, as, as one kind of guy in this unit. You know what I mean? I can, I can pick from any of those. What's the mission? Okay. I'm going to take this. Oh, next mission. I'm going to take that. And in the mil in the LE guy, the military guys have that, the, the, the ability, the law enforcement, not so much, but they really should in a way you know, be able to kind of change scenarios. And then there's definitely guys that are in more rural areas that might have to stand off from a, a location. There's airport considerations and how close you can get within an airport. So the range is you can't always go do the, you know, 72 yard average engagement. There's always an anomaly there. So the idea of building a rifle around that 72 yards you know, some days it's 56, then it's 72, then it's 92, and then it changes because every year there'll be one outlier which will bend the curve a little bit or mess the, mess the statistic up. But they always just build a rifle based on that. And like I said, I'm hearing 16-inch, I'm hearing Magpul Hunter stock. It's like if you're going to go a Magpul route, it, it really should be the Pro 700, you know what I mean, if you're going to go that direction. Because uh, in, in a in a LE side, you guys are closer in a lot of ways to a PRS shooter, an NRL shooter. Short, fast engagements, alternate positions, different things in, out, and around, you know what I mean, building stuff. Honestly, it, it, in a lot of ways, yes. The, the best case scenario in, in 2019 for you guys is a tripod, right? Just to use a tripod, be done with it. You don't, you don't have to go build fancy stuff. You could build a position in a car, on the other side of a car, in a room, through a window. You don't have to go in and move kitchen tables and chairs and build up a platform. You know, just put your tripod up, go on that. So it should be built around that. The other thing is... Your jobs aren't always permanent. So it's new person in, old person out, new person in, old person out. So in that case, what's what should be your focus? Adjustability, right? You should really, really be focusing on chassis over stocks because the adjustability built into a chassis. I can have it fit a bigger variety of people correctly Rather than saying, well, this is what Bob used before he retired and Bob is, you know, 6'4 and blah, blah, blah. And John, who just took his place, is 5'6 and nothing like it. And now, you know, John's got to shoot Bob's rifle and Bob's rifle was built for him the first day back in 1992. You know, and it's like, okay, I got a 1992 rifle that was built around Bob, if that. And now it's got to fit me. And, and, and part of the problem on the LE side is they all go into the cool guy. Let's put on your kit. Let's get in your cars. Let's drive up. Let's jump out. Let's do instead of fitting the rifle to the shooter and understanding the different points of connection. How, where does your stock go for this position? Where's your hand? You know, how does this go? Cheek that, uh, you know, all these other elements that would really put you in a much bigger comfort zone with your equipment than saying, here's Bob's rifle, go make it work. You know, and it's like, ah, I hate that. But so chassis are definitely, should be an easy way to even upgrade your rifle. Pull it out of the old stock, right? You got barreled action, put it in a chassis. You don't have to buy a new system. Yeah, you could rebarrel it. You could do whatever you have to do, but take it out of those stocks. 
put it in. You know, scopes, guys are still with the second focal plane, which I get. You don't want the reticle to go and start, you know, going down because you want to open up field of views. But illumination can fix that. And and if you're just using it as an aiming point, the fact that you don't see your mills anymore, okay, I'm, you know, I'm 72 yards across the room. If I got it focused down so I can watch the door in the garage, you know, on 3.5x, well, I'm still be fine. You know, it's not going to be that big a deal. Is it optimal? Probably not. But at the same time, it'll still work. Nobody says you got to go down to four, five, six power, go to 10 power. You know what I mean? And, and that's what drives a lot of the three to 20s, three to 18s, the three low end is field of view, right? Everybody wants to be able to see, can I see the front door and the side door? Can I see this part and that part? I need that field of view because I don't know which exit or entrance I have to cover. So that's that's kind of I I get that but there's a, there's a training aspect to that from a shooting side versus a deployment side. I'm not here to tell anybody what their tactics should be. I mean that's that's and right I'm not a guy to tell you oh you you know back in 1989 I did this like this and you should do it like that too because it's like okay that's that's your thing for your department. You guys work on tactics. You know, what's the best way? But marksmanship translates, right? Marksmanship should be able to be universal. There should be a program in place when a new guy comes to put him through a system that allows you to, you know, build a new shooter from point A to Z, okay? And and that's where someone like myself would come in and someone like, you know, where you reach out to a mile high or you reach out to, to on sniper's hide and you start to find these different things rather than just regurgitate and repeat, you know, rinse, wash, wash, rinse, repeat, right? Wash, rinse, repeat. So we don't want to do the wash, rinse, repeat because that's how we've always done it. And, and, and it's, it's that incestuous training. It's, it's that trickle down, you know, it, it's, a lot of times it's, hey, man, he's a cool dude. We'll just put him in charge. Oh, wow. You know, John over there, John's an excellent shot. We'll make him the guy. And really his only thing is he's a naturally a good shooter. Okay, cool. Well, that, that does help. That doesn't mean you can't train John better or you can't train somebody who might have better skill sets universally, generally, versus John, who's just really a good shooter. You know, so put things in place look at the different elements and that brings me to another point um conversation kind of where i wanted to go with a lot of this was the um so i down at rifles only sitting down with phil vallejo gunworks and all that stuff well they they had phil and gunworks they are now the kind of the education sponsor of the nrl it's funny, you know, I'm seeing all this all around, like the gunsmith sponsor, education sponsor, so-and-so sponsor. It's like, oh, God, I wouldn't even be paying money for that. But OK, I mean, if they bring you in and say you're an education sponsor, that's kind of a good thing. And I like the fact that Phil and I sat down at a lunch or something, a dinner or lunch or whenever it was. And we were talking about skill stages and becoming him becoming that education sponsor for the NRL. And he was an instructor on the West Coast, Marine Corps. He was, you know, scout sniper instructor. He's an instructor for Gunworks. And now he's bringing that knowledge to the NRL side of things. And where we were talking were standardizations, 
skill stages to kind of break it down even further. Because you, you look at what they're trying to, the original goal, when I think a skill stage, I think something that's universal. I don't think a skill stage is something that works better for the six foot tall guy and different for the five foot tall teenager. You know, we got a 13 year old girl who's now going to shoot. She's got to do something different than the guy who's six foot tall. Yeah, they're still both going to hit the same target at 400 yards and do all this stuff. But how they do it is going to be really different from how the other person does it. To me, a skill stage should be universal. And looking at the brawl and looking at what Jacob did with the 10-inch plate at 1,000 yards and, and some of that stuff, I think there's got to be two elements to the skill side of things, to the training side of competitions and to what we're looking at. Two elements to it, okay? One has got to be target size, and in talking with that, I like to do small, medium, and large, right? If I can get away with it, medium and, and or like large and small, but small, medium, and large is your optimal thoughts on training because you can get somebody in brand new first day on the big target. Then the next thing you're going to train them on the medium sized target. And then the, the, the last, the kind of the testing side of it would be the small target. So how does that translate? Well, the big targets, if you look at the elevation, I'm not going to talk windage because windage gets a little funky with target sizes unless you go square around, okay? And I have nothing against square around targets, but we're going to talk like basically IPSC. Let's bring them down from an IPSC. So it would be a full size, a 66, and then a 45, right? That would probably be your big, medium, and small. So full size IPSC. 66, 45. Well, you could translate that to comes to be about a 4M away, a 2M away, and a 1M away size of target based on range. Okay, so that is where I would look at target sizes. And I mentioned this in my after action that I felt because of the training side of things, I was whacking on targets too small or too big for me. And I was getting this weird false sense of, ah, just touch the plate and I'm good. And ah, don't worry about it. Edge of plate, no problem. Instead of kind of burning into that center or going to a much smaller target where windage and elevation becomes much more critical. Hence, like our chewing bars. Our chewing bars are 0.2 mil tall. Okay, that's it. It's 0.2 mil at the distance. So the 800-yard chewing bar is five and three quarter inch tall. We have a windage catch for it because we're looking at elevation more than windage with a truing bar. And, and you know, this is one of the designs that I put in with Austin was to have that bar longer because a new shooter is going to fall down on the windage. But we need to get their elevation in a really, really good place. So how do you do that? Well, you can make it, you, you, your elevation is shorter, your windage is longer. That way there, if, if, if I can't see through your scope, but I could dial your scope, I could say, hey, put 4M away on it. Put, you know, uh, one point something mil, whatever, uh, one mil, whatever the case may be. So I, I can do something like that, right? And say, put a mil on and see it and go, okay, he's high or low. All right, I'm going to dial you here and I can get your elevation and see it. Windage 
can mess up trigger. You can be holding wrong, whatever. You know, you're doing something backwards. If I say, hey, hold a half mil left wind and you're holding the left side of the windage and not the right side, you know, of the reticle, you're backwards. And, and if you if I have a long windage bar, I can catch that. Oh, dude, you're backwards. Go the other way. But elevation, I could see. So looking at a skill stage. Well, one of the things you should do is you should look at our basic positions as well. So we got sitting, kneeling, standing, and prone. Those are our main positions. And whether they're supported or unsupported, that gets handled down the line a little bit. But we want to look at and, and develop those positions. We want to develop a sitting position, a kneeling position, and a prone, and then you're standing, right? Because that's going to handle every scenario you can possibly think of. So to start off in a prone, a skill stage might be a one MOA target at 400, 600, 800, 1,000. Okay, 400, 600, 800, 1,000. Now you can do closer, go to two, whatever the case may be, but in a competition, steel considerations, not, you know, uh, how close you're gonna put something like that, but for steel, four, six, eight, 1,000. Pretty simple, right? It doesn't take a lot of effort, but we could do a minute. And the goal for a skill stage would be like three out of five on a one-minute plate. There's something that you can train up, you can practice up, you can look at. Can I get, at a minimum, three out of five on a one-minute plate at 400, 600, 800, 1,000? Great. That's a skill. Then... I can do a two-minute plate for sitting and kneeling, right? Can I get a sitting and kneeling in these dis- in these dif- different disciplines at, you know, four, six, eight? Maybe you don't go to a thousand, but why not? Well, if you're if you're setting something up, you can set up a qualification. You can set up a skill stage course of fire without having to change things for so three targets one minute two minute four minute at these ranges four six eight a thousand well then you could say okay so i got a minute at prone i got two minutes at sitting and kneeling well standing i'm not going to do an offhand standing shot because we don't, that's not our discipline. That's not our game. That's not our rifles. But standing supported, maybe it's a tripod. It's all you need. Do your four minute at four, six, eight, and a thousand. Or maybe you can even make it two minutes and bring it down in size. At You could say two minutes at four to six. And then the eight to a thousand could be something else. But you're, you're still working in something that can translate, at least in my mind. And, you know, this is just my opinion, my thoughts on the subject. I'm not trying to say it's the only way of doing it. I mean, your only limitation is your imagination, right? So I'm just trying to make it general, universal, so it's easily repeatable. And that would be four, six, eight, a thousand, two, four, you know what I mean? One minute two minute and from there and now you have an easy repeatable verifiable skill sets that can be trained and taught and 
it's simple. It's it's something you can knock out. You could do the quals early. You could say, okay, this morning we're going to do our prone shots. Then we're going to do our sitting. Then we're going to do our kneeling and, and, you know, and so on. You could do them in supported ways as well. Sitting supported, kneeling supported, unsupported sitting, unsupported kneeling. You know what I mean? The only one, like I said, the only one I would change is standing because that should be completely supported because we generally support a standing shot. You know, if you were going to teach a snap, you do a, a snap shot with a precision rifle like we're using a tactical rifle is done with a carbine method and not the NRA high power method. You know what I mean? It's it's not the standing that you see with a service rifle. It's taught more carbine. And, you know, that was the, the, um, the what do you call it, the, the story that Jacob told about him and Bill Davison and doing that offhand shot with the, with the precision rifle at a thousand yards where he, he brought it up, check natural point of aim, brought it down, brought it up, check natural point of aim, brought it down, brought it up, check natural point of aim, brought it down, brought it up, check natural point of aim, brought it down, brought it up, fired hit. You know, that's the kind of way you do it with a standing shot because if you're trying to hold it the lo- without support equipment, the longer you hold it, the worse it's going to get because we're not designed to hold up a 16, 18-pound rifle like that. It's just not, you know, it's different with a 7-pound AR and shooting it within its ranges to take a 17-pound rifle and try to do the same thing is not going to work the same way. But consider... Not just target sizes, consider the skill stages. And, and I really think we need to rename that and we need to look at it and we need to rethink for 2019 what a skill stage actually entitles. I, I, I think they did a disservice by what they did in the PRS for a skill stage. I don't find it, um, you know, it's, it's, it's overused now. It's overdone. They were building for years. They built products to do a skill stage. The fact of the matter is if I can come up and I can use a wedge block or something on my rifle where the rifle is locked into the barricade and then I can just touch it off in a free recoil method, is that a skill stage? No, it's not. There's nothing skillful about that if I could buy the hit. And absolutely, you could buy the hit. I'll go get an Ingenuity Gunworks. I'll mount it in my stock. I'll put the, the wedges in there. I'll wedge my, my rifle onto the thing, and I'll stand off the side. I'll line the reticle up, and I'll put my thumb on the back of the trigger guard and just touch it and let it hit. It'll work every single time without any influence from me. So what a skill stage should do should be your shooting. It should be testing you, not your rifle system, Right? You want to test the rifle system over the, or not test the rifle system over the shooter. You want to test the shooter. And that's why I really think a skill stage should should work in that fashion. And I, I like where Phil's head was at, that he's thinking about this, that he's going in a place where you can look at a, a, a prone skill stage, a sitting skill stage, a kneeling skill stage. And I like kneeling over sitting. I mean, when I when I was in the air dingo, I went sitting and I was able to use my legs and support. But at the same time, a kneeling would have probably worked if I could use an extra bag. But I need I wanted a bag to hold that firing elbow. And those are other things, you know, an unsupported skill stage teaches one thing and you can make a bigger target for an unsupported skill stage. And then a supported skill stage can be. Very similar, 
but on a smaller target and allow support and limit support. Hey, two items of support. You could use your bipod and a bag. You could use a tripod and a bag. You know, two elements of support, one element of support. There, there's, um, you know, there, there's, there's, I'm coming of the school of thought now with that is, okay, if, if you carry it, it should, you should be allowed to use it as long as you carry it the entire time. At the same time, that doesn't mean use everything you've carried. Maybe it's use one or two things you've carried out of four things you might find in your bag. I got a rear bag. I got a puff pillow. I got a game changer. Okay, I got three bags right there that I'm looking at. I got a rear bag for when I'm prone. I got a puff pillow for my alternate positions, and I have a game changer for support. Okay, so that's three bags to look at. Well, maybe you say to somebody, you only can use two of the three. Okay, well, I got a tripod. I'm going to use the tripod. Well, you want the skill stage to deploy the tripod on time. Because if I can go back there and set it up for the next half hour, it's not a skill. Yeah, it might. That's that's a training thing. Where do I put my tripod for this position? Well, when you go back to your training, you can mark your tripod, get a silver sharpie, and say this is a kneeling, this is a sitting, this is a, you know a standing, and and put a mark on it for each one. I've seen guys come to matches with tripods that are marked all up and down there, and that way there, if you have to deploy it on the clock, you could do it quicker, and it's a practice thing. Deploy it on the clock. Hey, all my shit's in my car. And go back to LE, right? This is going to skill stages. Where's the practical application? Law enforcement, military, because the game, the game is kind of like our version of that is how it used to be looked at. I'm playing a game because I'm not in the military anymore. I'm playing a game because I'm not a law enforcement shooter anymore. Okay, so those things should translate and almost interchange. If you remember, Jake and I talked about we would do two military classes, one civilian class. Then we would do a competition and we'd base the stages on what we learned with the military guys. I, I, I've said this a whole bunch of times and, and I'll repeat it again. Uh, you know, some of those lost, not lost episodes, but the episodes that aren't in your feed. Like Nick Irving, Reaper 33. I have a copy of his shooting, his diary. You know what I mean? Like what he wrote the book and what he did. I have his handwritten notes, a copy of it right here that said, I had to do this. I had to do that. I did this. That You know what? I, I ran up. I shot this. I ran over. I shot that. I ran down. I shot this. It's fast. Well, that's time. That's why a 90-second stage to put time in, to put a stressor. Nobody's shooting back at me, so how do I increase the stress? Reduce the time. There you go. So I want to be able to deploy these things under time. If I can just go back there and set everything up and have it ready so when the buzzer goes off, all I have to do is drop it in place with no time wasted, well, I'm defeating the training purpose of that stage in a way. Do we want to go full game or do we want to go game with training? And I really think we should be the training part of it because the game is not coalesced around any one thing. It's fractured. There's nomad, you know, competition dynamics. There's NRL, there's PRS. There's all these little local matches that do things just slightly different that don't communicate with each other. We are not the NFL. So the fact that we have all these varying, you know, competing agendas means we sh we need to make sure the game we're playing has a value for the shooter. 
And the value is training, right? So deploy on the clock. Understand your equipment and how that equipment works. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if we're always just like, you know, if we look at a barricade, a culvert, a wall, and everything else as throw a game changer down, put my rifle on it. Throw a game changer down, put my rifle on it. Throw a game changer down, put my rifle on it. Throw a game changer down, put my rifle on it. Okay, that's one skill we've just repeated five times. But if we mix it up and say, you got to do this on the clock, you can't use this many bags, you got to limit these different equipment, it's all a way of doing the same thing, but adding a little extra value for us on a widespread scale. We may not all be able to go up on the prize table and get, you know, get a new night force, but we can take something home that we learned. You know, training methods, different things that we're going to do that way. And that's my point. All right. That's that's one of the things to look at. And and I'm going to go back and make sure I have that smaller target. And my first round is on a smaller target. You know what I mean? Do, make sure it's funny the, with the PRS and the rifles and the way things are going. You don't hear much about cold bores anymore. Right. We've gotten rid of that. We've thrown that out of our brain because we've learned that cold bores are more shooter they're not something that should be done. Better equipment, better rifles, you know, the whole thing, better bullets. You never hear about, you may not shoot, you know, I shot five rounds. I'm walking to another stage. I'm sitting there for an hour and then I'm going to shoot my next five rounds. Nobody ever goes, oh, gee, where's my cold board going to be? The rifle's cool. It's all, you know, because it's not. It's fouled. It's ready. You're ready. You're putting it out of your mind. You're not thinking about it. So it's not happening. Okay. It's not a natural state. So that's one of those things that from an LE side, they can look at. That's another takeaway. Hey, I'm going to come out here. I got my first round is my first round. And it's going to be like that because the rifle's been sitting here cold. I've moved from point A to point B for the last hour. Okay. So now I can start over and I'm going to get it. I'm going to get a takeaway again. So, you know, there could be something as far as that cold bore element to it. There could be something where you can say, you know, I want a 600-yard, three-round cold bore before I go into my skills stage. What's a skill stage? Three rounds at 600 yards on a 6-by-9-inch target. That's a headshot. 6-by-9, right? That would be a 45% IPSC, 8.5-by-11. So you're in that same piece of paper zone that's a confidence builder. If you're an LE guy and you've never shot that far or have no plans on shooting that far, but you know you can do it, everything inside is money. It's a head trip. We've already, I mean, the mental aspect of this is gigantic. Is your head in it or out of it? What's your go- Where your head goes, you know, the rest will follow. And so that's where that is why it's a 600-yard Cold bore, three shot, let's see what's going on, and all three should be boom, boom, boom. You know what I'm saying? But if they're not, it's something to look at. Hey, I'm always off over here. You could put it, put your steel and put something behind it so you can see and you can take a value away. Okay, there's a cardboard behind it, like a window. You can make it hidden. There's all kinds of stuff through through a, a car window, through a house window, through a doorway. You can put a backdrop behind it, U-line. Cardboard, all kinds of stuff, right? Super cheap. Old boxes, refrigerator, go to the Best Buy and start friggin' raiding their uh, recycle bin and, and, and that kind of stuff. Put it up behind it. 
put something in front of it, and now you can go and say, all right, I'm off here. That's a training value. While I'm still getting a confidence boost, am I going to take a 600-yard headshot? No. Probably not. In my lifetime will I do that as, you know, you know, deputy dog or whatever. I'm not that I mean to be that respectful. Just the first thing came in my head. Sorry about that. But anyway, you know what I mean? That's where that is. I'm probably never my whole career going to shoot that far. But at the same time, I can learn from it. I can take a confidence builder. I can take away. And so everything else is going to be that. Hey, whenever I kink that trigger, because distance is going to magnify the errors, right? Angles, which you might not see at your 100-yard group, will show up at 600 yards like nobody's business. It is going to be a neon sign compared to if you're trying to decipher it, decipher it at 100. If I know I'm a a five-eighths of an inch shooter with my issued rifle and ammo, I could shoot five inches or five-eighths of an inch all day, right? And I'm trying to decipher which one is which inside this five-eighths little group. That's a lot of deciphering. You know what I mean? I have to actually have somebody there that's marking every round so I could see it. Where if I could do three shots at 600 with a backstop out of cardboard that'll go through if I miss... Well, now I have a learning tool. I have a visual sign to say, hey, two of my three shots were were off in the wind or two of my three shots were off with a trigger pull. Two of my three shots were off because of elevation. Now I can start learning and bringing that every day into a new place. Okay, now I show up, I shoot my three, go into a skill stage. Four, six, eight, a thousand. Sitting, kneeling, standing, prone. I have, I right, that's, that's, a, that's a day at the range that'll maximize your effort. And then after that, you could do your, put your gear on, get in your car, drive down, bail out, run down. You got 90 seconds to drop down, get your shot, get out of there, go over here, go do this, go set up on a stalk or go hide and wait till the radio guy calls and says you could take a shot. You could do all the SOP stuff. You could do all your tactics after that. But you had a really good day at the range. You learned something. And you could do four, six, eight, a thousand, and then go do your groups at a hundred. Start doing your IDs, your your hostage, your target negotiation, you know, all that different stuff that, that they generally do for LE on paper at a hundred. So you can kind of go work that, shoot your windshields, you know, all, all the different things. And it, it's it's one day. And you got max value because your training time is valuable. You don't have the ability to, you know, spend all week doing this. You got other job, you know, you, you have other things to do. You got warrants to serve. You got whatever the case may be. So think about that from a what are you putting into it to what are you getting out of it? And that's got to go to the same way to competition, right? What What's the skill we're trying to do? You know, I, I should go behind me. I got one of the Marine Corps books. I can go grab it. You know, without the aid of reference, the student will, uh, blah, 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 blah. They, they, they always would say that in the books that we have. All those um, 
God, I can't even think what the hell they call them now. I'll have to go look at it. But you know what I mean? We used to do the, on, it's not online, but it was like an online training. You used to get a book in the mail kind of thing. And it's like, hey, I'm going to take a course on guerrilla warfare. And you'd read the book and it would say, ah, oh, without the aid of reference, the student will be able to, you know, create an insurgency in his backyard and, you know, raid the neighbor's house, that kind of stuff. So that's what we're looking at. That's where I want to be from this, that training standpoint. That's what I want guys to look at from a competition standpoint. And, and really, it's, it's a new year. The matches are just starting. Think about a realistic skill stage that translates to every shooter equally. Doesn't matter. Everybody can get in the prone the same way with their equipment and do that stuff. It's not a tippy-toe shot because there's too much of the, you know, tippy-toe, crouch down, tippy-toe, crouch down, tippy-toe, crouch down. One guy's too tall, one guy's too short. It works pretty well in the middle, but then, you know, oh, I'm 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 going to, you know, cram you into underneath the table. Under the table works good for me. Not so good for the big guy, you know, but a barricade works for him. Not so much for me. That's why I don't think those things work as skill stages. Yeah, that's part of the game. How could you adapt to fix that problem for you? But that's not a universal thing. What works for me isn't going to work for, you know, someone like Shannon who's 6'5". Not a skill. That's what the skill would be, would be the sitting, kneeling, standing, prone. That's my point. Anyway, targets that just want to knock this out. I, I know like, oh, it says daylight savings time starts tomorrow. Remember to set your clocks back. You probably get this after the fact. But no, I'm going to be meeting with Mikey tomorrow. Um, We're going to go over this. Uh, Ashbury stuff. Uh, LE guys, if you're looking, this is, I was talking with Morris and what we did, he's putting together a um brochure. For everybody that I'm gonna post on the on the hide, and I'm gonna we're creating a, a site. I actually just bought the domain and I got it forward. Sniper, snipers, snipers, hyphen, hide, hyphen, rifle dot com. Snipers, hide, rifle with hyphens dot com. That will be how you can go to look at the Ashbury, the APO rifle, three hundred eight. Based off of Remington, all the same things. You can get it chassis. It's already done. It's turnkey, right? All set, ready to go. It it, it falls right into the zone. It's adjustable. It's foldable. It's muzzle device, you know, ready. All that things. So all you got to do is put on your brake, put on your suppressor, put on your whatever you want to do. You're golden. Just It's really just slap a scope on it. That's it. That to me, in looking at this, is like the perfect LE. Like, what rifle do I get? It's sub two thousand dollars. It's it's highly adjustable for whatever shooter you put behind it. Hits all the marks. It's got M lock to it. It's durable. You know what I mean? It's ready to go. And we are looking at this. So what we did in the brochure, because for the for the base model, we already know what they are. Uh, ballistic data. They just built it. It's done. I mean, they're doing so much web pages, configurator sites, uh, hard copy brochures, cut sheets, data sheets, order, you know, uh, fulfillment, all this stuff. They're calling people now. The people who are ordering, they're calling you up. Hey, man, thanks for your order. What else can we do for you? 
you know, Kestrel softwares, FDAC with the density altitude cards. You can get all that data book from uh, Impact Data Books with the Sniper's Hide Edition data book. It's there. You don't, it's, it's, you can one-stop shop it and one-stop support it because they're the gunsmiths too. You only need to go to one place. We're putting ballistics there and they'll be super close. They might not be perfect and it might depend on what ammo you're shooting. Of course it will, but at the same time, it's going to be super close for you. We're providing you every aspect of this rifle that you can go and put in and you're done. Print it out. Cut it out. I got it. I'm good. Verify it's your tri-dope, right? We're giving you tri-dope so you don't have to guess. Here's your tri-dope, guys. We did it out to uh, supersonic ranges. 1100. Tri-dope. Got it. Double check it. Okay. Modify it. Make a new chart. It's yours. You're done. You, you don't have to guess. You don't have to worry about it. When we say it's turnkey, put a scope on it. Everything else is right. Whatever ammo you, right? Scope, ammo, done. That's it. We got it all for you. We're supporting it. We're supporting you behind that rifle in every way possible. 1995. Right? That's not bad, man. I, I'm really happy. That bazooka green, too, looks cool as shit. All the brochures now and everything you're seeing me post on it, that's mine. That's that bazooka green. Comes in OD, flat, dark earth, black. You know, but I did the bazooka green because it's cool as hell. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for commenting. Think about it. Go on Sniper's Hide. Go in the forum. Go in the Everyday Sniper section. Go in the training section. Go wherever you want, right? What's your ideas? What's your thought for a skill stage? What is your training method? What size target? Targets matter, right? What, what are you trying to accomplish, Everybody's, hey, the wind, hey, the wind, hey, the wind. Yeah, but how far are we going to shoot that? That's why we have the xylophone target. That, that we have a, we look at that, that target is in a place where it's 0.2 wide, one mil total. So we've set it up to teach. Got a new guy, new shooter, knew that. Well, 0.2, he can understand 0.2. Everybody wants 0.2 hash marks on their reticle. That's one mil wide. Can you hit that middle one? Five, five hanging targets, create the xylophone. Shoot the one in the middle. That's it. If you miss... That one will come up. That one will move. The rest will stay in place. And it's a, it's a great visual. See Austin Angus, man. AA targets. He'll make you a xylophone target. You'll love it. And you could teach people wind. All right. Hey, man. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. We're going to get Mike up on here and we're going to knock this out. Give us your feedback. We're looking for it, man. We're looking for your feedback. I'm going to start repeating some of this stuff. So, you know, if you want me to say it somehow different, hey, in episode 11, you said this. I'm not quite on board. Tell me how to do it better. Okay, well, we'll repeat episode 11 in a new way. We'll do it the Captain Marvel way with like, you know, photon bolts coming out of my hands. She did all right. I liked her. I, I liked her attitude. I liked her punkiness. She was like Punky Brewster, that 90s thing. They did that whole 90s thing. She, 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 she always had like a little smirk when, when she realized I can kick this dude's ass. And then she'd smirk. It's like, Oh shit, I got power. I can kick that dude's ass. Oh, smirk. Bang. That was kind of fun, a uh, fun, you know, fun gun. Ah, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Enjoy. Have a great weekend guys.